Tonight's reading is from Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17, and this can be found on page 1191 of the Church Bibles. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been given something that you felt like you haven't deserved? Maybe you did a really terrible job of remembering a loved one's birthday and it ends up being a last minute trip to the local garage. I'm sure you've never done that before. And when a few months later they pull out all the stops for your birthday, massive celebration, lovingly thought through gifts, how do you feel? You feel terrible, don't you? And you might enjoy the gifts, but you feel a bit guilty. You feel like you don't deserve it, that you've let them down. I remember on one Christmas whilst growing up, the look of horror on my mum's face when she unwrapped a present that was under the tree from another family in the church. It was an expensive looking board game and with it some seriously high quality chocolates. The look of horror was because she had only got them a tub of quality streets. Nightmare. (laughs) We weren't deserving of such a generous gift. We hadn't done enough. Well, maybe that's how you feel about forgiveness when it comes to us and God. You think about all that you've done in your life and how you've treated God in that. And then you look at what God has done for you, sending his own, only, greatly loved son to die for you, to suffer for you, so that you could have forgiveness. We don't deserve it, do we? How can God forgive us after the way that we've treated him, after all that we've done? One man who felt that said these words, I think it might be a sinner, you know. I mean, I've done some terrible things in my life. And if God sees everything, then how can he forgive me for some of the stuff that I've done? I've done too much. What I've done is beyond forgiveness. I'm too bad for God to love. Have you ever heard those kinds of things before? Have you ever had those kinds of thoughts yourself before? Beyond forgiveness. Too bad for God. Well, those words were said by a guy called Mez McConnell. Picture of him on the slide behind me. And he very much felt he didn't deserve God's forgiveness, God's love. 
and his thinking might be understandable when we look at his past, the kind of guy that he was, growing up in a broken family, largely absent and regularly abusive. Mez was far from having the best start in life. By the age of 12, he was taking drugs and was arrested for the first time for assault, just at the age of 12. And the downward spiral of his life continued from there. At the age of 14, a close friend of his was stabbed right in front of him and subsequently died. Drinking excessively, taking drugs, dealing drugs, increased violence, theft, and more and more serious crime. Mez's life was a real mess. With an incident of serious fraud where he stole thousands of pounds, he fled the north of England where he had been living and moved down south to Swindon, which is where I grew up. However, when the money dried up and the so-called friends that he had left him, Mez found himself homeless, living on the streets and sleeping on benches. Well, one night Mez found himself in a club and he was involved in a violent clash where he stabbed two men. Sentenced to six months in prison, Mez's life was at its lowest point yet. Surely this violent, dangerous man had done too much for God to forgive him. Well, more on Mez later. But looking at another individual whose past was equally, uh, equally as turbulent and traumatic was the famous hymn writer John Newton, known for his song Amazing Grace, sung all over the world. But there's a dark past behind this well-known hymn writer. Newton, like Mez, had had a troubled upbringing. His mother died when he was young and he was sent to a boarding school before he was press-ganged into joining the Navy, where he pushed against all levels of authority and subsequently uh, he tried to desert. He was flogged publicly and after this he managed to convince his superiors to discharge him to a slave ship headed to Africa. Whilst on this ship we learn from one of the biographies and his own reflections on his life later that he remained arrogant and insubordinate and he lived with moral abandon. He says, I sinned with a high hand and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. Newton served on various different slave ships for a number of years and as such he was actively involved in the slave trade that would take people away from their homes. The slave trade that would treat people like unprecious cargo and chain them into tiny spaces lining men and women along cramped decks below the ship with no more than a coffin of room each. And on one of these slave ships, African, uh, on these slave ships, African men and women would be taken to the Americas, a voyage that would last on average two long months. That's two months in a space no larger than a coffin, without toilets, without proper food or water. 
It was no wonder that many of those who were taken became seriously ill, and more besides would die, never reaching their destination. And those who did get there, well, they would be sold as slaves and could well be destined to a horrible and demeaning life as a slave, forced into labour, hard labour, and forced to bear gross mistreatment. That was what John Newton did. This violent and vile man was very much involved in the enslavement of numerous people. He was without doubt an evil man committing truly evil acts. None of us are going to argue with that this evening. He had little regard for human life. Surely, like Mez, this man had done too much, was too evil for God's forgiveness. Well, tonight we'll be looking at a biblical example of someone who was not dissimilar to Mez and Newton, distant from God, and someone who unquestionably did not deserve God's forgiveness. We're carrying on our series of transformed lives. And this evening, as we draw this series to a close and look at our final transformed life, we see this man, Paul. Now, we tend to know Paul as the great apostle who wrote much of the New Testament that you have in front of you and who suffered greatly to bring the gospel to so many people. Foundational in starting numerous churches, preached faithfully and led many people to know God. He's the one we aspire to be like, isn't he? An example for us to follow. An inspiring individual who's Attitude often humbles us. He faced trials, crossed seas, survived shipwrecks, spent night after night in jail, and testified before crowds, before governors, before kings. But often we forget where this impressive Christian leader came from. We forget that Paul was once Saul. And if you think... If you thought Mez and Newton were undeserving of forgiveness, well, wait till you hear about this guy. In verse 13 of the passage we had read out to us from Avril in 1 Timothy, we hear how Paul uh, used to be. Read those, uh, that verse with me again. We hear that Paul was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. And later in the passage, he refers to himself as the worst of sinners. And before you think Paul is just being a little melodramatic here, a bit over the top, look at what he actually used to be like. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7. You can find that on page uh, 1099. Well, verse 54, so it's actually 1100, 1100. Because here we have an account of what this man used to be like. So Acts chapter 7, and we'll start reading from verse 54. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him, Stephen. 
But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Well, here we're introduced to a religious zealot, someone almost on the same level as an Islamic extremist. He looked after the coats of those who brutally stoned this man Stephen, an act of murder which he approved of. In verse 1 of chapter 8, which I just read out, we saw that he led an organised, systematic persecution of Christians. He sought to destroy the church. Does it sound familiar to anything we see today? That was who Paul was. The religious extremist who lived to destroy the church. Surely he had done too much for God's forgiveness. But it gets even worse than this. Later in Acts, in chapter 26, we see Paul reflecting on what he used to be like. You can see it on the screen. I too was convinced that I too, uh, I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is, what I, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And, then, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Saul, the man obsessed by breaking Christians, causing them to give up their faith, or if not, having them killed. It's hard to imagine anyone being further from God. So, what on earth, what on earth happened to this obsessed and brutal persecutor? Persecutor of God's people. What could have caused such a change in him? Such a change to the man that we see in the New Testament. The answer? Well, he met with the risen Lord Jesus. Back in our passage in 1 Timothy in verse 14, Paul writes, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It was the grace and love of Jesus. It was because on that Damascus road, Saul met with Jesus, and that's how he became Paul. This should come as no surprise to us. 
We've seen this time and time again in this series so far this term. The Samaritan woman, ashamed and desperately looking for satisfaction until she meets with Jesus. The demon-possessed man, rejected by society and completely under the control of evil until he met Jesus. The criminal on the cross, dying and destined to be lost for all eternity until he met Jesus. Thomas, the disciple, full of doubt until he met Jesus. Peter, the fearful, forgetful, faithless, failure of a friend until he met the risen Lord Jesus. And here, we've seen this morning that Paul was the obsessed persecutor who sought to destroy God's church until he met the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus makes a difference. Jesus makes all the difference in the world and into eternity. And we see this wonderful truth in verse 15. Have a look down at it. Here is a trustworthy saying, says Paul, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. What a difference Jesus makes. Grace, love, salvation, all through Jesus. Paul says it himself, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. To save sinners and to change and transform their lives. And we see the difference that Jesus made clearly lived out in the life of Paul. In his letters to the various churches, churches that he started and visited and discipled, we can read how Paul holds himself up to them and to us now as an example of what Christianity is all about. He says we can all have confidence that God loves to forgive sinners because of his own transformed life. Verse 16, I, Paul, was shown mercy for this very reason, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Do you get what Paul is trying to say here? He's using himself as an example. He's saying, look at my life. Look at what I used to be like. Jesus has saved even me. His love, his patience knows no end. If I can be saved, well, so can ye. I've fairly recently passed my driving test. Thank you, thank you. And I remember when I was first looking online at various different instructors, struggling to know who to go for. Uh, I came across one review. Now, there are lots of stunning reviews of how good driving instructors can be, but this is one review written by uh, a woman in her 30s, I think, and she said this, I failed more times than I cared to share. Driving made me so nervous, I never thought I'd pass. But this particular instructor got me through it. I passed. If he can get me to pass, then he can get anyone to pass their test. I thought that was a great review. I went with him and I passed my test. Thank you again. Well, that is what Paul is saying here. If Jesus can save me and change me, 
then he can save anyone. Far more important and life-changing, even than passing your driving test, is what Jesus offers to each and every one of us here this evening. And we can see that life-changing transformation in the lives of Mez McConnell and John Newton. Can you remember where we left them? Newton was working as a part of the slave trade and Mez was serving time in prison for grievous bodily harm. Didn't look great, did it? And yet Christ broke through into their lives and hearts, saved them and transformed them. Wonderfully, Newton, after almost drowning in a storm, first put his trust in Jesus. And in the following years, he would give up his ties with the slave trade, renouncing everything to do with his old way of life. And so began the chapter of Newton's life that is much less well-known in comparison to his former life as a slaver. At the age of 40, he was ordained within the Church of England and went on to lead and pastor a church faithfully for many years. He wrote over 270 hymns, and his ministry was expansive, reaching and touching the lives of many. He would greatly support William Wilberforce, who I imagine you've all heard of, in his fight against the slave trade, and he very much aided in its eventual abolition. We've recognised this evening that Newton was a great sinner, but towards the end of his life, at the age of 82, he's recorded as saying these words to a friend. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. Christ is a great saviour. That he was willing to save and forgive and love even a man like John Newton, and in doing so, transform his life. What undeserved forgiveness. What amazing grace. And of course, Newton recognised this fact as he penned his most famous work, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That is the transformed life of John Newton. But how about Mez? Well, he too received and knew that amazing grace. Coming out of prison, he was welcomed into the home of a Christian, Mez was introduced to Jesus there, and everything in his life changed from that point. I knew Mez whilst growing up in my church at Swindon, and I very much saw his transformation firsthand. Mez, after becoming a Christian, would go on to train in a Bible college before going out to Brazil as a missionary to work with the street children out there. And more recently, Mez is now leading and pastoring a church in Edinburgh, and he heads up a Christian outreach work called 20 Schemes that seeks to help plant gospel churches and reach Scotland's poorest, to reach lost, broken people whose lives reflect the situation Mez was was once in himself. And now he travels all over the world to America, sharing his testimony, sharing his vision 
of planting churches in deprived areas. Mez has been transformed. And as we look at the lives of such individuals, you cannot deny or doubt the transforming effect that Jesus can have on people. If Jesus' death on the cross was enough to save Paul, Newton and Mez, then it's enough to save you. To save you and I from anything we may have done. So if you're here this evening and you think that God can't be for you because of all that you've done, then stop and see the transformed lives that we've looked at this evening. Jesus came to save sinners like these men and to save sinners like you and me. No one is too far from God's grace. But maybe you're a Christian here this evening and you've been coming here for years, perhaps most of your life, and you know that you've been saved. You've accepted that gift of forgiveness for yourself. Well, some things to realise and remember this evening as we come to a close. If that's you, a committed Christian, how do you see others? Others, perhaps, who haven't grown up in a church, who don't know the Christian lingo, don't know when to sit and when to stand, when to repeat the chorus and when not to, (laughs) don't know the things that they shouldn't do, or go places we would never go, or say things that we would never say. How do we see them? Do we begin to think that they've done too much, too much wrong to have God's gift of forgiveness? Do we begin to say to ourselves, God has forgiven me, but they've gone too far. They will never be one of us. Well, how dare we speak to people like that? How dare we think of people like that? How dare we think anyone is too far from God's grace? What are we doing when we say or think that? We're saying that the work of Christ's death on the cross wasn't enough to save that individual. wasn't sufficient to atone for their sins. Jesus' death on the cross was good, but not quite good enough for them, for him, for her. That is what you're saying if you look on anyone and say they have done too much for God's forgiveness, that they are outside of God's grace. Remember verse 16 in our passage from 1 Timothy. Mercy was shown to the worst of sinners, so that in him people would see God's unlimited patience and love. So, realise and remember that no one is outside of God's grace. Forgiveness is available to all. But as well, as we, we also need to understand here that if Jesus' death on the cross was enough to change Paul, Newton and Mez from persecutors to preachers to transform their lives, then it's enough to change and transform our lives too. Have you ever thought like I have? that there is a sin in your life that will never go away. You look at the people around you here, perhaps this evening, and you think, I will never be as holy as they are, as good as they are. 
Do you sometimes feel like giving up as a Christian? It's too hard. It's too costly. Too difficult. Well, if Paul, the once religious extremist who condoned murder and sought to destroy the church, who hunted Christians, if he can be transformed into the Christian leader that we see in the New Testament, then you can battle with sin. You can fight it daily and not let it rule over your life. If John Newton, the once swearing, abusing, enslaving denier of God, if he can lead churches and write hymns that would affect thousands, then you can strive to live a holy life, to live a life that pleases God. A life that says, God is my king in all areas. At St Mary's, at work, at college, at school, with our families, in all areas. If Mez, the once drug addict and thief, violent convict, lost and alone, a slave to sin, if he can become a missionary, a pastor, and seek to reach with the gospel, those who were in similar situations to the one that he was once in, then you too are no longer a slave to sin. No longer a slave like Mez used to be to his old way of life. You can now live free and forgiven. You can now live out your transformed life. So, realise and remember that you can live out your transformed life life. And now, finally, you can point others to the undeserved forgiveness that you have been given. You can show others Christ. Maybe not as a leader of a church, as these men did, but you can show your, uh, your, well, your salvation from Christ. You can live out your transformed life, and that will be visible to others. How you speak and how you act can point others to Jesus. And in those specific conversations, you can tell others of the incredible love and forgiveness that you personally have known from God. Not because of anything you've done, but because of Jesus. Those are the, li- those are the lives you and I can live. So realise and remember that you can point others to Christ as you live transformed. Battling sin, pursuing holiness, living more and more like Jesus, and pointing others to the wonderful forgiveness we know. A religious extremist, a violent abusive sailor, a druggie and a thief, transformed men of God who changed the world and go on changing it today. You can stand up and be counted with them for Christ. Back to that opening question. Have you ever been given something that you felt like you haven't deserved? If not, then accept this amazing gift of forgiveness. We don't deserve it. No one does, not even a bit. But for God's grace, but God's grace and love is yours. And like these three men we've been looking at, we can live out transformed lives, battling with sin and pointing others to him. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you so much for your word where we can look and we can see these numerous cases of completely transformed lives. We thank you that where Jesus goes, hearts are saved and lives are changed. And I pray that each and every one of us this evening may know and understand that for ourselves. That your grace is sufficient for all of the wrongs that we have done. No one is too far from God's forgiveness. We thank you so much for these wonderful truths. Help us to know them and to live by them for your glory. Amen.